0: bless you for your grace and your love. And we're so like Nicodemus. We have so little that we really understand. But we thank you that you love questions and you love to be present for us. And we pray that you will today answer maybe some questions that we might live more fully for you. So will your Holy Spirit please take this word and breathe into it your life. For we ask it in Jesus' name that he will be glorified among us. Amen. So, we're looking at that John's Gospel. Jory, by the way, this is broken. It fell off the stage today. So, it's a bit shaky. Like me. Where does milk come from? You saw that coming, didn't you? eh? (laughs) Where does milk come from? Oh dear, we'll have to start from the beginning. Once upon a time, there was a cow. You know, you ask kids maybe in urban centers, where does milk come from? And mom, they comes from thrifty superstores, I think, in a carton. And we, we've, we've had these debates, and I'm sure people have these debates in, in terms of the rural centers where kids never see cows and they haven't got a clue what cows look like and they didn't even know milk came from cows. Because they get removed from that reality and they don't know what a pasture smells like. They become, they, I love that smell. That are that they become desensitized. There's a sort of not no connection. And what does desensitized mean? Desensitized implies or means that what I could see, I don't see. And we see these pictures, for instance, of trackers in in Africa, where uh, they they have they're so sensitive to the environment around them that they can actually tell who's been there and how long they've been there and how how much they weigh and how many days it's been that. You know, you know the story, you've seen it on many, many probably TV programs. But desensitization is part of what it is like to live in Egypt in, 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 in this broken world, in this fallen world. A desensitization that can move into a depression, it can move into... I mean, I can speak out of depre- a place of depression where you don't feel... And you don't register, and you don't actually participate. There's just a barrier and a blackness. And desensitization in other ways is, is just a lack of sensitivity to what's around. And what I want to talk about this morning is about how much I believe um, we're spiritually des- desensitized. We don't have a memory of the pasture. Where does God come from? He's in the box. It's called church. And very often it stops there. God in a box. We've lost touch with the open spaces. With the vitality of a Jesus who is, is creator of the universe. Lost touch with a creator God who actually loves passionately. A God who, who is incredibly in love with you and with me. And who loves more than anything in the world, as you do with your children, to see you come before him with open arms and say, Daddy, I'm so glad to see you. But children who don't know their parents don't do that, do they? Because they're desensitized. They shut down. One of the things God's doing, I believe, among us is saying, I want to bring you home. I want to restore in you that passion, that sense of security and that sense of knowing where you come from that will bring you life. That's what the Jesus ministry is about. Jesus comes into the world to show humanity what it's like to be sensitive to his Father. And he as an absolute human being, really says, what I do and how I do it and how I live is the clearest way I can model to you what a sensitive human being looks like. Sensitive and filled with the Spirit of God. And anything that I have done, you can do. If you allow me to desensitize you and draw you back to what I created you to be. I want to show you how far you've come, how much you've got um, desensitized to me. And so you have in Jesus the heaven and earth colliding, as we talked about and have talked about. You have the living God showing us what living humanity is like colliding with the culture of his day. And they couldn't get it. It was so far from what they understood. So it was an intriguing and disturbing model that he presented. It was one that captivated people's imagination and also terrified them. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the middle of the night in Jerusalem. It's dark in Jerusalem in the middle of the night. I had supper with a Palestinian family in the Palestinian court of Jerusalem and the host said, Can I, I'll show you, I'll walk you part of the way home. And I wondered why. We stepped out into the street and it was dark. Wouldn't have been able to find my way down the street. It was so dark. Of course, the Jewish side of it's all lit up. But we won't go into that. But it, 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 Nicodemus came in the dark. And part of that might be he didn't want to be seen. Another part might be that part of their culture was that uh, you study at night. But it probably was he didn't want to be seen. But it's a wonderful example, I believe, Nicodemus, of coming to Jesus of humility. He's a man who was a member of the Pharisees. He was one of the, ruling, he was one of the rulers of the Jews, which, which would be the rulers of Jewish faith worldwide. He was very influential, very rich, very educated. Yet something was amiss. And he has the courage and the humility to find Jesus, come to the source and say... How can this be? I mean, we see, I see what you do, and you must, God must be working in you because you wouldn't be able to do these miracles. But how does this, what is this like? Now, to understand why Nicodemus is asking that question, Nicodemus has grown up with the law. And the Pharisees were people who, who had given their lives to living the law of God. And other Jewish parts of the Jewish faith spend all their lives working out how to please and obey God. Rules upon rules upon rules upon rules upon rules upon rules. Not allowed to tie knots on the Sabbath. But you're allowed to have two knots tied. One, I can't remember one, the other one is the knot of, the woman can tie the knot of a girdle. So, you want water and you want to keep the law You use a woman's girdle, tie a knot. That's what they did. They they spent all their time living under this incredible, minute law and had put God in a box that must have been, well, it was stifling. The whole picture of God was a God who is angry, a God who is legalistic and a God who says, this is how you have to live. And with all of Nicodepus' training, he was honest enough to say, it's kind of not working. And he saw something in Jesus that he had genuinely hungered for. He's not a stupid man. And he comes to Jesus and says, how can this be? Which is a launching pad to encourage us to understand that what we're talking about in the Jesus ministry and what we're talking about in the kingdoms of God and the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth is not intuitively obvious to us. Our default position will be to push it away. Not even to talk to Jesus. And I want to encourage us that... You know, God presents us with himself in a way that invites us to engage with him. But Nicodemus had to get up and he had to go somewhere and he had to speak. And so God will do most of the stuff, but we also have to engage. We will have as much of the life of God as we actually engage him in. But the encouraging thing is that we can start wherever we are. Just start asking questions. But go to people who maybe have traveled the road a little longer than you to find some answers. We're a bit like the Russian doll manufacturers, you know. We get so far and then we create another image. and We, get a, we just keep putting God in boxes as we grow. So we have to keep on learning how to move him, allow Him to be more free. But the question is, as you grow up in this Egypt, in this in this prison camp, is how do I make sense of what God is trying to do in Jesus? Nobody had any clue about it. It wasn't obvious. And it's not going to be obvious to us. It's not going to be something that we automatically connect with. How do you see God this morning? What kind of box is he in? How long has he been in the box? When did you last change one thing that you thought about God? How long ago was that? How long have you had God in the image that you have him now? If you had to stand up, each of you come up here right now and explain and tell us about God. What would you say? I'm not threatening you, I'm just encouraging you to think. What would you say? Where do you get your information from? Where do you test it? When you last question something about your life and God in a way that actually wanted an answer. How much of your questioning actually wants answers? How much of it is a defence against change? God's desire is for life. And Nicodemus came and said, How can this be? What rules do you live by? What patterns do you live by? And where does God fit into that? Some of us spend our whole lives trying to control our circumstances so we can have peace. And we're stressed out most of the time because life has a habit of just not doing what it meant to do, right? Right. And we live our lives in stress. And so what we do is we say, well, we better go away on a holiday. So we go away on a holiday to forget about it all so that we can relax and then we can come back and be stressed out again and then we can save up some money to go on a holiday again. Because life is all about living for retirement or living for a holiday, but we never live in the present with any degree of joy because it's the grind of normal life, John, you don't understand. And Jesus said, i would kind to bring you life now, here. You don't need to go on holidays to find life and peace and joy. If you don't have it here, you're not going to have it there. And God is mischievous, I think. I think God is incredibly mischievous. I think he, he knows us very well. And he's a, he's, he's a father who, a bit like playing with a kid, he wants to be found. So he leads clues everywhere. And wherever you are, he'll play games with you to draw you into something deeper. If you'll look and if you'll take the time. He's on, we're on a sort of lifelong treasure hunt with him. See, there are two realities in life. And this is what Nicodemus shows us. There are two realities. I will distill life down into two very simple concepts for you. (laughs) How arrogant. The one reality is um, you will find happiness if you're financially secure and you have enough stuff. It's called materialism. You build a nice house and you have the nice stuff and then you're happy. You've got enough in the bank so you're secure. And that is your your happiness. The other reality is all of that stuff actually doesn't make you happy. And if you spend any time with yourself or anybody else, what is it that every human being desires? Valued? Loved? Validated? Validated? Appreciated. Every single thing that is at the core of the human heart is an intangible. Why do you think that is? Because God's giving us a clue saying, if you want life, it's not in stuff. I know that's a cliche, but it's leading us to what is the core of what Nicodemus was asking. If you want to build character in somebody, what would you do? Would you send them to Hawaii to a luxury estate or would you send them to Uganda to work with the poor? (laughs) Character comes out of places where stuff isn't that important or as important. And if you understand that principle, then we'll understand that because God desires to build character in us, It's going to be through the circumstances of life that he's going to do it. He's not going to take away the circumstances. He's going to grow us up in the circumstances so that we learn how to live in the midst of the strife that is life with joy. And when people around us see that, they'll want to know Jesus. Enough of this. I'm going to evangelize on holiday. Know, your life is a testimony now where you are with all the incompleteness and brokenness well that's God's invitation to us so Nicodemus, Nicodemus isn't stupid he's a bright guy and he's a rich guy and he says there's something missing and he comes to Jesus and he says uh, how does this happen what you're about and Jesus says I'll tell you the truth unless a man is born again He cannot see the kingdom of God. How can a man be born when he is old? Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Nicodemus isn't stupid. He's not saying what we think he's saying. He's saying, how can you get that kind of transformation? Because we have all these rules, and I've lived all these rules, and I know that I'm not transformed And Jesus says to him, I tell you the truth, unless a man is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it is from or where it is going. So it is with everybody born of the Spirit. See, the Spirit is like the wind, and the wind doesn't blow in boxes. And Nicodemus sees Jesus, and Jesus kind of opens the window and says, Nicodemus, get out of the box. I'm your Creator, I'm your God. It's not about keeping lots of rules. And then he gives them this strange example. If you go to Numbers, they talk about how Moses created this bronze snake and they were bitten by snakes. And he said, um, well, when people are bitten by snakes, what they need to do is they need to look at this bronze snake that's lifted up and they will be healed. So they did that. They got bitten by snakes. They had to do something, they had to go to where they could see the snake lifted up, and when they went there and they saw it lifted up, they were healed. And what was that about? That was about faith. That was about God providing them with something, a place where they could find healing, and if they obeyed, they would be healed. If you turn to uh, 2 Kings, chapter 18, you'll find what happened to that snake. Um, It's it's in in the time of Hezekiah And I'll just read a bit of it He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord Just as his father David had done And he removed the high places Smashed the sacred stones And cut down the Asherah poles He broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made For up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it It was called Nehushtan What happened? God had given them something for a time and they put it in a box so they made it into something and then they began to worship that. Because the human capacity is to take everything God gives us and define it in some way that we get control back. And then it becomes a shrine, a religious object. And God was saying to Nicodemus, you cannot define me. Whatever you take from me and define becomes dead. The flesh gives birth to flesh, the spirit gives birth to spirit. It is impossible for flesh to find the life of God through flesh. And Jesus came and said, It's only the spirit that will give you life. That's why we started saying the worship in heaven might be the worship that comes out of hearts that are open to Jesus' spirit. It's not flesh. And so Jesus goes on and says, God so loved the world that he sent his Son. Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Implying that as he is raised up, like that snake, but not the snake obviously, as he is lifted up and people come to him, they will be healed. They will find what they can't find anywhere else. He says, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what, is, uh, that what he has done has been done through God. You have the contrasting kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And in the kingdom of light, God lives and God exposes. In the kingdom of darkness, we hide. And so the kingdom of darkness speaks about the glory of humanity, the glory of human beings, but nothing is revealed. In the kingdom of light, all is revealed. And what Jesus says is, do not fear being revealed because I do not condemn you. Darkness operates from the fear of condemnation. Light, in Jesus, says it is better to be exposed, for that will be healed, than it is to be afraid. And so we come back to this question of Nicodemus as he's grappling with these two realities. And they're basically two very simple realities. The one is life, getting life from the outside in or finding life from the inside out. The life of the flesh is grappling with life on the outside. The life of the spirit is found in the spirit of God working from the inside out, and it always starts in the heart. And it always starts in a place of love and acceptance. And Jesus says, "The wind blows where it wills. The spirit of God blows where it wills." How do you know what the wind? When there's a wind. You know by the evidence of the wind and the clouds in the trees and the grass in your face, you can feel it. And the wind of the Spirit is the same. The intangible is reflected in the tangible. So the fruit of the Spirit is life and joy and love and peace, hope and kindness, long-suffering. You can't fake, the, you can't fake it. The evidence of the, of the Spirit of God at work is the quality of life that is lived. But if you try and keep the quality of life by reading and rules, you'll never get it. Just like the Pharisees. That's why Jesus came to say, if you want that kind of life, don't, don't look for hope and peace and joy and try and become hopeful, peaceful, joyful people. Draw close to Jesus and allow him in loving you to release joy, peace and hope through you. Did he be lifted up and as you come and be lifted and, 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 and focus on him who is lifted up, the risen Lord Jesus, the fruit will grow from the inside out. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. Imagine walking with Jesus and talking with him about how he sees your life. And maybe like Nicodemus, you say to him, so here I am what did you have in mind and he starts showing you what he had in mind and you stop walking and you start crying and you say it's so different and he cries too and he says I know but that's why I'm here You see, unless you're born again, you can't be this person that I had in mind. Because I am the only one who can produce this in you and through you, with you. And you've been trying to find life and meaning from your own resources, from your intellect and your flesh. And you've got a pretty muddled, cluttered life right now. And you don't have a lot of peace or hope or joy. And I'm asking you to let me out of the box and not be afraid of me and let me define you So you have a choice with me. You can either look at your past and be trapped in your past or you can look at the future and say, Father, why have you taken hold of me and let me draw you into what I intended for you? And it's never too late for that. The Spirit will give life to Spirit. And wherever we are today, God's call upon us is, if you let me take hold of you, I will draw you into the fullness of what I created you to be. And how do you do that very quickly? The are three clues or four clues I could see quickly. God loved the world. He didn't desire us to perish but to live. Very simply, therefore, for the Spirit to be alive in us, we need to know that we are loved. There is nothing that you or I can do to earn anything. It's the exact opposite of Nicodemus' heritage. You are loved. Period. Secondly, you're not condemned. It doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. period. You are not condemned. Because Jesus didn't come to condemn, he came to convict in order to release So, when you're aware of guilt, you come and look at the one who is lifted up and he takes it. Because he has come to take away the burden and to set the captives free. That's what he does. So, you are loved and you're not condemned, and then he says, Come into the light. The light of my word, the light of my community. And what's that about? It's saying, I want you to learn how to be vulnerable. I want you to learn how to be open. I want you to learn how to be jars of clay. I want you to learn how to have people know your weakness so that you can boast about my strength. There's not room for both of us to be strong. I want you to be willing to be what you are, which is a jar of clay with a treasure that is beyond measure. You will be more alive when you're more at peace with your brokenness. And you'll be more alive and more effective in the kingdom of God when you're both at peace with your brokenness and also willing to share it. And stop making excuses for it. And finally, the life of the Spirit is released as we just come to Jesus as Nicodemus did with great humility and says, how can this be? And allow him to begin to answer as we question. We need the Holy Spirit to work in power in our lives. And I would encourage you to merely... You know, in the times of worship, in many of the times where we do music, it's an opportunity, in a sense, to allow the Spirit to engage with us. It's interactive. It's not just singing songs. And I promise you that the more you try that, the more you'll also be tempted to be distracted. There's lots of distraction here. There always is. But if you really want it, just put aside the distraction and say, Jesus, here I am whatever you want from the, in, just deposit in me what I need please you just keep on starting there you keep on inviting him you take responsibility and you know what happened of course in John 19 I think it's quite a moving little account Jesus has died later Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body, and he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at, at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, and taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden and in the garden was a tomb. And they laid him there. Nicodemus, the one who came at night, found his answer. Not in a book, but in the Word made flesh. In a relationship with Jesus that undoubtedly changed his life, otherwise he wouldn't have been seen there associating with Jesus' dead body. And so our invitation and encouragement is to not try and be Christian by the stuff we do on the outside, but to allow the Spirit of God to release in Him the qualities that only He can release as we share in relationship with Jesus day by day. It's really like every other relationship. The more you invest in it and the more you give it to it, the more it will produce fruit in your life. And so let's just pray together for God's Spirit to do in us what what we cannot do ourselves. What is the question on your heart today? You came to Jesus, what is the question that you would have for him? Ask him that question. It can be anything you like. Father, will you breathe into each one of us right now your spirit that brings answers to the questions we bring you. We pray for you to release your Holy Spirit among us and in us to produce what you only can do. We ask you to forgive us where we have tried and striven to earn your love, to earn your life, to earn being a Christian. Like Nicodemus, we get tired of that. We pray that as with him, we will discover the living God in the risen Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.